Hello, you are listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. I'm Miriam Lake. And I'm Debbie Olson. And today we're going to talk about the e-cigarettes and vaping craze that's going on that we've heard a lot about on the news lately. And today we are joined by Dr. Richard Deming, an oncologist at Mercy One Des Moines Cancer Center. Welcome. Great. Thank you, Debbie. It's great to be with you. Okay, so Dr. Deming, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and the Above and Beyond Cancer Program that you founded? Uh, I'm Dick Deming. I'm a medical director, Mercy One Cancer Center here in Des Moines. I'm a radiation oncologist. I, I grew up in South Dakota, but I've been living here in Des Moines, Iowa for 30 years. And in addition to being the medical director at Mercy One Des Moines Cancer Center, I'm also the founder and chairman of the board of a not-for-profit called Above and Beyond Cancer. It's a uh, cancer survivorship organization dedicated to elevating the lives of those touched by cancer to create a healthier world. And we work with uh, cancer survivors, and that's cancer survivors, whether they're in the midst of going through treatment or after treatment, encouraging healthy living, healthy lifestyles, exercise, tobacco cessation, uh, good nutrition, and really pursuing lives of purpose and passion. Yeah, I heard something about you take them to Mount Everest. Yeah, so most people know us from our once-a-year gonzo trip where we do something just incredible. Uh, We take cancer survivors on mind-body-spirit journeys that allow them to uh, provide humanitarian service to cancer survivors in other parts of the world that are disadvantaged. And then we also incorporate into our journeys a physical challenge, such as climbing to Mount Everest Base Camp or climbing to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro or uh, down up and over the Andes Mountains to Machu Picchu or uh, last year to the most sacred mountain in the world in Tibet. So these journeys uh, where we take cancer survivors and caregivers, we always engage with cancer survivors in the country we're visiting. And then we do a mind-body-spirit journey that includes a physical challenge. So that's how we're mostly known for those trips we do once a year. But 52 weeks a year, we're providing programming for cancer survivors here in central Iowa. So we do uh, once a week mindfulness meditation for cancer survivors, once a week yoga for cancer survivors, once a week we have a cancer education series and I teach a spin class for cancer survivors. We have once a week fellowship and fruit smoothies, which is kind of like a support group. Once a week we have a cross training where we do aerobic and um, resistance training along with some yoga and mindfulness meditation. Uh, in the summertime, we have a bicycle club uh, during the summertime. And actually, sometimes in the winter, we do hiking and cross-country skiing and snowshoeing. We also have a Above and Beyond Cancer Book Club, and we do art as therapy. All of these are services that we provide free of charge to patients who are going through their cancer journey or after their cancer journey here in central Iowa. Anyone, no matter what physical shape they're in, can be challenged by what we do. Uh, All of our programming is done as medical directed, so it begins with approval by the patient's doctor and then an assessment of their capabilities and their limitations, and we design programming for anyone, no matter what their abilities are. 
Uh, we have individuals in our class that are, you know, at high level of functioning, they can win a 5K, and we have other individuals that have limited capacity, but we are able to find ways to challenge them where they're at. Wow. That sounds like you're doing amazing things down there. So today we kind of want to talk about um, vaping. This has been, um, it's quite a crisis right now that's going on. So what is it that you have seen in your profession as far as vaping goes? Yeah, it's a big topic. Um, Vaping has been around, you know, for about a decade. And uh, I think when it first came out, nobody paid much attention to it. And then it was being really marketed by the tobacco industry is perhaps this is something that people can do instead of smoke. And, and it is true that if vaping was used only by smokers to, to vape instead of smoking, it would play a role. But none of the tobacco industries that make vaping products have ever sought FDA designation to have their product be approved as a smoking cessation device. Most of us in healthcare were willing to give them the path that it was probably not as harmful to vape as it was to smoke. Um, and I, I serve as the national board chair for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. And we actually came out a year ago with a statement saying, if you are a smoker of cigarettes, where you light a cigarette and inhale that smoke into your lungs, and you've tried every approved method of trying to stop smoking and haven't been successful, that we would encourage you to do vaping instead of smoking, but not both. That was a year ago, and that was before we realized now all of the illnesses that are being caused by individuals that are vaping. So at the beginning of this month, November 2019, the CDC put out their uh, results of their current investigation. There have been over 2,000 individuals that have been diagnosed with lung injury secondary to vaping and 39 deaths in the United States. So although vaping might possibly be less deleterious to one's health and smoking, it is not risk-free. And in fact, um, many people are being diagnosed with lung injury. And as I said, 39 have been confirmed dead because of vaping. We don't know what the actual product within the vaping process that results in injury and death. Uh, It could be chemicals that are present within the product that the tobacco industry is selling. But we also know that some individuals are actually using products that wasn't sold by the vaping device that are putting into the vaping device to inhale. About 78% of those individuals with lung injury were vaping products with THC, the active ingredient, marijuana. So I have a question about that. You know, we're talking about what's in these cartridges or the chemicals that um, is, you know, used in these vaping products. So um, with that said, the THC, are are these companies putting the THC in these products or individuals are doing that on their own? How is that? How does that work? 
individuals are doing it on their own. So the the vaping products that are sold by, sold by the tobacco industry, uh, such as Juul, those don't do not have THC in them, but they're made in such a way that the the user of the product can put liquid that has THC that they get from another source into the device and then vape THC. So we don't know that it's the THC, but by correlation, 78% of those 2,000 individuals that have had lung injury, there have been there has been THC in the product that, that they have been vaping. So why... What is the draw? Because it seems like a lot of teenagers are doing this. So what's the draw to the, them? Yeah, what, that's a, a good question. So part of it is the marketing. So uh, they are making these with flavors like bubble gum, apple pie, lemon mist. I mean, they are making flavors that are appealing to the youth. So that's one of the things. Second, uh, there's sort of this mystique about it. You know, it's illegal under the age of 18, so there must be something there that that somebody should want to try. And so it's a bit of a, a being a rebel, uh, an experimenter, uh, doing something that is forbidden uh, but is easy to do. And then these flavors have been concocted and created specifically to appeal to the youth. Hmm. Um, the products all have nicotine in them. So there is uh, probably a bit of a, a buzz that uh, a young person might experience. But we're very concerned about the nicotine. Nicotine, number one, is addicting. If you use this product, you will become addicted to nicotine. And second, if you are an adolescent using the product, the nicotine has a deleterious effect on the brain in adolescence, more so than on an adult. If you're you know, 52 years old and consuming nicotine, your brain is already fully developed, and the effect of the nicotine on causing brain damage is relatively minor. But if you're 13 years old and consuming nicotine, it can have long-term consequences on brain development, cognition, um, and perhaps even addiction to other things in the future. So I've seen on the news that it's mainly teenagers or younger people that are having all the lung issues. Why, why is that? The illnesses have ranged from age 13 to 75. Okay. 79% of them are under the age of 35, but I don't think it's correct to say the majority are adolescents. I think the majority are adults. We don't know how many are under the age of 18. The substance isn't supposed to be sold to individuals under 18, but it's, they're able to purchase it online. All you have to do if you're 14 years old is click a button that says you're over 18, and they will mail you the product if you have a valid credit card. So I think the majority of the 2,000 uh, illnesses are adults, but clearly some of them are teenagers, adolescents. How can, this is for the parents out there, so if they suspect 
that their teenager might be vaping. Can you smell it on a person like you can cigarettes? Can Is there a, a like no. a big, oh. No, you, you cannot. So the products uh, are very unusual looking. They can be built into a bracelet, into a watch. They look uh, a lot like a USB flash drive. Parents oftentimes don't know what these are. If they came across one of these devices in their child's backpack, they may not even know what it is. If someone is using it, you see with as they inhale a cloud of water vapor that dissipates very quickly and does not have an odor. So uh, individuals can use this in spaces where smoking is not legal and and not be recognized as doing anything uh, suspicious. Yeah, I think kids, even in school, I know my daughter's a high school senior in high school, and she says there are kids in the bathroom smoking, vaping. Like it's, I don't want to say normal, but they are doing it in school. There are probably children in the classroom doing it in the classroom. Yeah, it's getting out of control. And we're really concerned because they're becoming addicted to nicotine. And the nicotine has a negative effect on brain development, especially in adolescents. Right. And I don't think kids are thinking about that. They look at the vaping and go, oh, well, this isn't smoking a cigarette. It's not tobacco, so this isn't as bad for me, maybe. They probably don't associate it with as many risks as a, as a real cigarette, possibly. Yes, I think that's true that, that um, the industry that makes these has sort of subliminally been indicating that these are safer than cigarettes. The FDA has um, the ability and authorized by companies to oversee these products because they are made from tobacco and they haven't taken on the authority that they've been given to actually regulate these products like they have regulated um, cigarettes. So we have been urging the FDA to use their regulatory authority to regulate these products and make it illegal to make flavored products that appeal to children we have been urging the FDA to prevent these from being sold on the internet where children are able to purchase them. And we've been urging the FDA to mandate that the makers of these products submit their products to uh, review so we know what are in the product, how much nicotine is in the product, and to undergo stringent safety testing. What is the cost of vaping? Is it cheaper than, so say if, if someone was a pack a day smoker and then they wanted to start vaping, is it cheaper for them to vape than it is to smoke cigarettes? Uh, it is because um, uh, cigarettes are subject to a large tax. And to date, most of the vaping products are not subjected to the same high tax as cigarettes. So although it's not inexpensive, in general, to get the same amount of nicotine, you can get more nicotine for your dollar with vaping products than you can with combustible cigarettes. So it's it's still 
being um, used as possibly a way to help someone quit smoking? It's being promoted, but it hasn't gone through testing to prove that it is effective. So you could use a product like this. So if I were making a product like this and I really wanted not just to sell the most of the to sell as much of the products as possible for profit, but I really wanted to do it as a medicinal to be used for smoking cessation. You would make several versions of the product. The first one would start off with the same amount of nicotine as combustible cigarettes, and then over time, you would use products that had less nicotine so that you got down to very little nicotine, so you got over the nicotine addiction, and then you start getting over the kind of the psychological addiction of using a product. So with cigarettes, there's two things that go on. One is the physical addiction to nicotine. Second is just the habitual thing of, of the um, using your hand and putting it to your mouth and sort of that whole process of, of, of the hand-to-mouth, uh, watching the smoke, the taste. So there's two things involved. One, the physical addiction to nicotine, and second, just the habit of doing the product. So if you were going to use this product in a way to get off of cigarettes, you would want to wean yourself of the nicotine slowly so you got over the physical addiction and then start addressing the habitual use of a product and go to alternate things such as chewing gum, such as <laughs> chewing on a pencil. That's a joke. <laughs> yeah, chewing on a pencil, I'm sure, I'm sure is harmful if there's paint there. But, but, but the point is, you would use it in a systematic way with scientific studies showing how it effectively can take someone from being addicted to nicotine and smoking to getting off of the product totally. Is there um, anything, you know, like there's um, secondhand smoke with cigarettes. Is there secondhand vape? Great question. <laughs> we don't know the answer to that because it hasn't been subjected to the testing, but it needs to be done. Yes, with cigarettes, as you know, I mean, primary smoking, you're holding a cigarette and inhaling. Secondhand smoke is when you're in the room with someone who is smoking and you're inhaling the smoke. Third-hand smoking is that, uh, let's say you're a daycare employee who smokes. You go outside and smoke. You come back into the daycare. You've got smoke in your clothing, and someone is, some child is inhaling that. Or a child goes into a room where smokers have been smoking and there's smoke in the carpet, there's smoking in the furniture, there's smoke in the furniture. That's third-hand smoking. With vaping, clearly first-hand vaping is you're inhaling. Second-hand vaping is others that are in the vicinity that have never been tested. We don't know what the consequences are. We don't even know the long-term consequences of vaping first-hand, let alone second-hand. Well, I'm thinking the way things are going with how many people are doing it and how much it's in the news that we're going to find out soon enough how what the long-term effects of it are. What about um, pregnant women that are vaping with their babies, their unborn babies? Yes, a great question. So I would say, first of all, what are the effects of a pregnant woman 
who is inhaling nicotine and the nicotine is getting into her system, what amount of that nicotine is getting into the developing uh, baby's brain and what are the consequences? We don't know the effects of that. Second, what are the consequences of um, secondhand vaping to a young infant? And, and we don't know the answer to that. So, Doctor, we hear about the severe cases of vaping on the news, but what is the actual lung injury that is caused from vaping and the effects that it can have on a person? Yeah. Um, so one thing we should talk about are the health consequences of vaping. And we're having this conversation in large part because of uh, what has happened in 2019 with the reported deaths and lung injuries. So um, we actually now have a name for the lung injuries caused by vaping, and it's EVALI, E-V-A-L-I, and that stands for E-Cigarettes and Vaping Associated Lung Injury. And this is what is being investigated now. This is lung injuries that look like certain types of chemically induced pneumonias caused by vaping. So that's when you get an acute lung illness related to injury. What we don't know is what is the long-term consequences of vaping if you don't get an acute injury of the lung what would be the consequences over years? So if we parallel that to smoking combustible cigarettes, meaning the old passive cigarette, you light it on fire, it burns, and you inhale the smoke. There are very few people who get an acute lung injury from smoking a cigarette, but everyone who smokes cigarettes over a period of years will get chronic lung damage they will get um, an increased risk of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, commonly referred to as emphysema. They will have increased bronchitis. They will have a significant increase in developing cancers of the lung. So those are just three lung diseases that happen not with smoking one cigarette, but with chronic use over the years, one can almost guarantee that there's some chronic lung diseases that will happen with vaping, but we don't have any statistics on that now. What has come into the news this year have been those acute injuries that result in someone getting sick with pneumonia-like diseases. They're not pneumonia in the sense of being an infectious disease caused by a virus or caused by a bacteria but they're um, probably more appropriately termed like pneumonitis, an inflammation of the lung, an injury of the lung because of some chemical that they have inhaled in the vaping process. But we don't know what are the long-term consequences of using vaping for many, many years, and will that increase the risk of emphysema or lung cancer? Um, I have a question about going, kind of going back to what's in, you know, um, some of these products and maybe what people are putting in them that they're finding with these lung injuries, a correlation. I've read a little bit about vitamin E acetate. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but is that another chemical or something that they're 
putting into it? Do you know anything about that? Yeah. Um, so when the first death was reported and then uh, started to gather more information systematically from all the states, that was uh, something that was reported early about vitamin E. You also hear a heavy, heavy metals and now the THC. Um, I would say that some of those might not pan out to be true. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, is continuing to do their research. The one substance that statistically is most commonly linked with the lung injuries has been the THC. Um, but you're right, early on in the investigation, when the cases were first being reported, uh, we heard about vitamin E. Uh, in the latest release of the CDC, they don't mention that. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that that's not an issue. But I think that statistically, they're, they're seeing the, a greater correlation with the THC products. Okay. Um, this might be a dumb question. So you, I know you light a cigarette, but how do you get a a vaping cartridge going? Do you just inhale it? Do you turn on a button? I don't, I don't yep. even know how they work. Yeah. So it has a battery. Oh, oh. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's more like boiling water than lighting a bonfire. So a cigarette is like lighting a bonfire and, and inhaling the smoke. Uh, vaping is using something to heat water so that it turns into steam and inhaling the steam. But obviously, you're heating not just water, but a liquid that contains many chemicals, right. and you're vaporizing it. You know, the e-cigarettes are vapor, so it's heating up something dissolved in a liquid and turning it into a vapor, whereas a combustible cigarette is lighting something on fire and inhaling the smoke. Well, you've given us a really good um, overview of this vaping epidemic that seems to be happening across the nation. And I guess we just have to take away like with cigarettes, don't smoke, don't vape. Your body wasn't meant to have all these strange chemicals put into it. And, and sometimes when you're obviously an adolescent, you're adolescent, they're attracted to doing things that are forbidden and they're attracted to doing things that are uh, kind of on the edge. And then you, compound that with allowing the manufacturers who are doing this just to make money to put nicotine and flavors attractive to youth into these products. Right. We have to regulate that. We have to eliminate these flavors that are appealing to youth. We have to make these not available on the internet to, to youth. And then we have to really require that the FDA step up and use their authority to make these the manufacturers of the addicting products tell us what's in them, what concentration, and uh, make sure that they are are safe. Now, having said that, if you use a cigarette exactly the way you're supposed to use a cigarette, you will get a disease from it. Mm-hmm. So even using it the exact way you're supposed to use it, it will kill you. So um, it's very difficult in the public health field to, to talk about selling a product that results in disease and, and then trying to regulate it. But we take the stance that adults are able to do things that are not healthy. They're adults. Uh, we, we try to discourage it, but you can't forbid and, and it's not proper and right 
and make a law against everything that is potentially harmful. I like to do extreme skiing. People get hurt doing that, and I don't believe you should make it illegal. But when it comes to kids, we've got to protect kids, and these products are being marketed to children, and it is causing damage, and we don't even know the extent of the damage that it will cause. Exactly. We'd like to, you know, also um, just note that November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and November 21st is the Great American Smokeout, so um, making that aware, um, encouraging, you know, people to quit smoking. Um, And I guess just my own personal situation or family who are, you know, yes, I come from a family of some smokers, and I do have a sister, and being a smoker from the age of 13, and she's well into her 40s, and she's tried quitting many, many times. She has not had a real cigarette in over a year. She is vaping to, I guess, in a way, that's her aid. Um, she doesn't want to do it forever, but it's it's a step in her process of quitting that habit. So I feel like, yeah, that's better than her smoking cigarettes at this point. She's maybe in the right direction, but again, we don't know all of the dangers um, with vaping. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That that's an exact. That is the one. Your sister is like the one situation where vaping um, may be have some benefit. That it is probably safer than smoking a real cigarette. And so, an adult who has tried everything to stop smoking real cigarettes, who's already addicted to nicotine and to smoking real cigarettes. That group may actually be the only group that benefits by switching to vaping. Right. So, um, Deb, on the twenty first, tell your sister that it's the Great American Vape Out. Okay, I will tell her. Smoke out. The Great American <laughs> Vape Out. Yeah, my my parents uh, each died of cigarette smoking at age fifty two. Wow. Coming from a family of smokers, you know, my mom is. 71 and has smoked all of her life and she'll die with a cigarette in her mouth I guarantee you um but you can't as much as you want someone to quit smoking that is something that they have to do on their own time they have to want that you can encourage someone but you know let them know that there's help out there but if somebody doesn't make that decision for themselves it's it's hard to get over it yeah we need to encourage we need to um, especially as a physician, you know, if I don't tell my patients who smoke, uh, not tell them, but actually provide them with a smoking cessation program. So uh, I think too many healthcare professionals think, well, it's already a lost cause. I'm not going to say anything because, oh my gosh, everybody knows smoking is is bad for you. Everybody knows smoking exactly. But we need to not only remind them that smoking is bad for them, but provide them the tool to stop smoking. And there are evidence-based methods that have a greater likelihood of helping people stop smoking. So it's not good enough to just shrug our shoulders and say, well, they can't do it until they're ready. We provide them with the tools that help enhance their readiness. Vaping, if it were to be done in a scientific manner, could be part of a smoking cessation process, but the manufacturers have chosen not to go down that path. They're selling it to make money. 
Well, Dr. Deming, I, we don't want to take up any more of your time, um, but you really gave us a lot of good information, and thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me. I am glad that we are um, collaborators in health and wellness and the prevention of disease, and I look forward to working with you over the years to help make Iowa healthier. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And again, if you have any questions or any feedback, feel free to email us at podcast at mercyhealth.com. See you next week.